Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us. We thank you for gathering us together, both in person and online today. We pray that wherever we are, your spirit would move powerfully in our hearts and minds and that we might be changed to be more like your son, Jesus. This we ask in his name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever seen that bumper sticker that goes on the car. You, know, you, you put the fish bumper sticker on to tell everyone you're a Christian and then you put the, on the left-hand side and then on the right-hand side you put the, the next bumper sticker which says Christians uh, are not perfect, just forgiven. So that when you cut someone off and wind down the window and go like that, uh, uh, you've got an excuse for your uh, poor behaviour and your uh, ownership of the Christian faith on the left-hand side. That's kind of what it feels like to me every time I see that sticker on the back of someone's car, uh, that it's a, it's a sort of uh, an excuse for their road rage. At least that's what it would be if it went on the back of my car uh, a- a- anyway. Uh, it's an interesting statement, though, to think about, isn't it? Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Because uh, I think, taken at its best, it's trying to get at something of what we've been talking about in Romans over the last little while, that, that we haven't earned our salvation. But taking it at its worst, it's, a, it's an excuse for Christian hypocrisy. And it's a, a statement that can be uh, uh, taken by many people to, to, to show the stupidity of Christianity. You see, a lot of people think that when we make statements like we've been making over the last month or so about how we're not saved by works, by good deeds, but through faith in Jesus Christ, that if, if that's what we really believe, then uh, we're going to be, that's just naturally going to produce hypocrites because we're not going to Uh, care about our behaviour because we know, oh, well, Jesus will just forgive us and we'll get into heaven anyway. Uh, The Christian faith has been accused time and time and time again, ever since uh, it first began, that when you preach salvation by faith through grace alone, that you're providing people with a free pass for bad behaviour. So when you have conversations with your friends who aren't Christians, you might see this come up. You you explain to them the the, the beautiful truth of the gospel, that Christ has saved you from your sins, and they say something like, well, if you're forgiven not by what you do, but just by Jesus, then why don't I just keep on enjoying my life the way I want to live it and completely ignore Jesus and he'll just forgive me anyway. It's this sort of notion of of cheap grace, of of grace that leads to uh, uh, sinful behaviour, letting us get away with too much. And it's this mindset and this accusation that Paul himself was accused of as he preached a salvation by grace, not works gospel. And it's to this accusation that that's going to lead to all sorts of sinful behaviour that Romans 6 is addressed. But before we consider the nature of uh, Paul's argument, let's remind ourselves of where we're up to. Romans, you remember, is telling us the truth of the wrath of God being revealed against sinful humanity. It's here now in that we have to reap the consequences of our sin, chapter 1, 
but it also will come on the last day of judgment. And all of us, we saw last week, stand guilty uh, as we are uh, all under not only our own sin, which is evident, but also the sin of Adam. There is nothing we can do to escape the wrath of God. There is no way out, no way to pay the price because the penalty for sin we've seen ever since Genesis chapter 3 is death. And so we need someone to pay that price for us. And that, of course, is what the good news of the gospel is all about, that Jesus has died to pay the price for your sin and to take away God's anger. We saw that in chapter 5. Our salvation our justification, this comes not because we earn it, but because God gives it to us in His grace. And we simply need to trust His faithfulness, that He will do what He said, believe that, and our faith, uh, and, and He credits us His righteousness. Salvation by faith through grace. This is what God is on about. This is the message of the gospel, the foundation of the church. But you'll remember, if you uh, were uh, listening last week, that uh, as Paul talks about the, the wonderful nature of the grace of God, uh, he uh, talks about how as, uh, as humanity sinned, first with Adam and then as sin increased and increased, as more and more people rejected him and did their own thing, uh, grace increased more and more. As sin increased, he says in chapter uh, 5, verse 20, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so as we arrive at chapter 6, Paul needs to answer that objection that I talked about at the start about whether a, a grace-filled gospel leads us to a sin-filled life. So chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because, of course, the grace of God revealed in Christ Jesus brings God much glory. And so, if, uh, if, if we understand that uh, as humanity has sinned and, and God's grace has uh, overflowed to deal with that problem, uh, and this has brought God great glory, why don't we just do more sin? And therefore, God will be more glorified and, uh, you know, uh, th this would be the, the right and proper response. Well, Paul says, by no means, verse 2, no, 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 no. This is not how it works. For we are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? And then this first half of chapter 6, Paul is talking about how we are not only united in Jesus' death, but also his life. That, uh, this is where the idea of our union with Christ uh, is brought up. That when we put our faith in Christ, verses 4 and 5, we are united with him in his death. That is, when he dies to pay the penalty for our sins, we die with him. We, we, we pay out, the penalty for sin is paid in him. And likewise, when Christ rises from the dead victorious, we too rise to resurrection life in him. 
We don't see that side of things fully in the here and now, but it comes to us through faith in Christ. Our union with Christ by faith in his death and resurrection, we see in verse 7, sets us free from sin. Or a better reading of that verse would be, anyone who has died has been justified from his sin. When we die with Christ and when we're united with him by faith in his death and resurrection, our sin is dealt with. But not only that, we are birthed by the Spirit into his resurrection life. And so Paul's saying, if we're united with Christ in his death and resurrection, then when we understand grace properly, we'll understand this reality of our union with Christ. And so we we won't be people who think, let's just get on with sin. We'll think, let's get on with our glorious resurrection life that we'll experience in all its fullness when Jesus comes again. And so we begin to live our resurrected life now, verses 8 through 10. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verses 11 through 14, Paul talking talking to us about our proper attitude to the grace of God. In the same way, verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And he goes on there through verses 12, 13 and 14, talking about uh, this new mindset that comes to the person who puts their faith in Christ and is united with him in his death and resurrection. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Verse 13, offer yourself to God instead of sin. Verse 14, sin is no longer your master. That is, by being united in Christ, God has enabled you to start saying no to sin and yes to him. The idea is that exposure to the grace of God in Christ Jesus, far from leading us to conclude we ought to go on sinning so that grace may increase, actually makes us realise this wonderful union we have with Christ and the power by his spirit we have to live a new resurrected life that we will receive in all its fullness on the last day. And this is actually not just a, like, this is not just explaining the mechanics of salvation, right? This is actually an important truth. Because when you find yourself battling temptation uh, and feeling like you might be a bit overwhelmed by whatever sin it is you're trying to fight against, remember this theological truth. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ. You actually have a choice here to live into the new spiritual reality that God has made in your heart. And you can therefore choose to ask God for his empowerment to flee temptation, to run into the arms of Jesus, to find grace and mercy in your hour of need. When we remember who we are and and the spiritual reality that we have moved with Christ from death to life, we're empowered for our day-to-day battle against sin. So, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 1, no. Paul almost then repeats this question in uh, verse 15. What then shall we say? 
Uh, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Again, he's sort of just repeating the same objection, right? Because of the grace of God, should we just not deal with our sin? And if the answer to the, to, the, to the objection in verse 1 was, remember your union with Christ, well then, the answer to this objection now is, remember your decision to follow Jesus, verses 16 through 23. And of course, Paul uses this interesting language here about slavery, about whose slave are you? When we uh, respond to God in faith, Paul here describes it as moving from one bondage to another, from one slavery to another. So verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And the difference is not whether we're sort of free or not, we're either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, slaves to God, but the difference is what the outcome is from those two bondages, verses 20 to 22. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Slavery to sin, which leads to death, or slavery to God, which leads to eternal life. Now, this sort of feels a bit funny, isn't it? Talking about faith in terms of slavery, because we, we, we usually talk about it in terms of freedom, and even Paul does kind of use it interchangeably. He talks about being free from the bondage of sin, but become slaves to God, which is where we find freedom. And so I wanted to just reflect a bit on, on how it is that we conceive of, of freedom, because we think of freedom, I think, today as being something that an individual possesses when they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, where the only constraint on them is that their behaviour is limited only by whether their behaviour affects someone else negatively. So, if your behaviour doesn't affect anyone else negatively, you should be negatively, you should be free to do whatever you want. And whenever the government or uh, some institution impacts on your ability to do whatever you want, you are not free. But of course, when you actually start thinking about that definition of freedom, which is, I I think, what a lot of people kind of work with their assumption, uh, you realise it's a pretty terrible definition of freedom, don't you? Because uh, there's always constraints. The pressures of society, lack of finances, our place of birth, our natural instincts and IQs and ability. Take, for example, my deep desire to play cricket for Australia. Uh, I'm not free to play cricket for Australia. I, I want to do it. I can sort of bat. Uh, but no one's letting me do it. Uh, there's this constraint on me, and therefore I'm not 
truly free. I mean, it would hurt a couple of cricket fans, I guess, watching me get out for a duck every time, but uh, gen generally speaking, uh, though I may want to do that, there's all these constraints, mostly from my own being as not being good enough at cricket, that stop me from achieving that goal. So, so there's always a constraint on freedom. So when we think about what it means to be free, we do need to think about uh, something a little bit more robust than, robust than simply a lack of constraint. And Paul's idea of, of freedom being freedom from bad results, I think, is much better. So there's one form of, of slavery which leads to death and there's another form of slavery which is freedom because it leads to life. And I think this is where the fish in water is helpful. I've got a little picture of a fish in a fishbowl here. Because when we see this fish in a fishbowl, uh, the question that uh, I often ask people when I'm trying to think about this sort of, these sort of issues is, where is the fish the most free? Because in this picture, right, the fish is contained in that bowl, and there's a whole big wide world of my kitchen uh, with which the fish could explore. But of course, if the fish chose to jump out of the bowl and make the most of its so-called freedom, it would very soon die because it wouldn't have the necessary means for life. And so actually, though the fish may seem constrained in the fishbowl or the ocean or whichever body of water it happens to find itself in. It's a constraint which leads to life and therefore the fish is truly free. Because what's the good of being free to flap around on the beach and have a party with your mates only to be dead a few moments later? And this is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about here. We either choose to be enslaved to sin and feel like we're free. Hey, <laughs> I'm not in that fishbowl anymore. But on a path to death. Or we choose to be slaves to God, living in true freedom with the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternity. Paul asks twice, verse 15, verse 1, does grace lead to sin? And he says, empathetically, not at all, because you are united with Christ and because you've made a decision to move from death to life and to be obedient to God. Grace brings us freedom, a freedom from sin and death, to a freedom of slavery to Christ, which gives us life. He finishes this chapter with this famous verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question for us is to consider under whose bondage we are today.
For one sin leads to death, but the other, a gift of God that comes through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, is sitting here for you today to accept wholeheartedly and to walk in life for all eternity. My prayer is that each of you would accept God's gracious gift of life and would walk in that today and every day for all eternity. Music